Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. There's always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tougher, even if they don't. Today is July the 13th, 2020, and this is episode 2688 of the Survival Podcast. And today's show is called The Coming Homeschool Tsunami and its Economic Impact. And I want to start out right away, right out of the gate. If you're like, ah, Homeschool Jack, I don't have kids. Homeschool Jack, my kids are grown. Homeschool Jack, I already homeschool. Actually, you guys that already homeschool, you love to hear more about homeschooling. Anyway, that's why you are going to be part of this tsunami. I don't care if you don't have any kids. I don't care if you're never going to have any kids. I don't care if you've had um, your things snipped so that there never will be any children. It doesn't matter. You need to hear this show today because today's show is one of eight specific megatrends that are going to drastically transform our country and even the global economic system. And while there is a lot of talk about homeschooling in the media right now, no one is really speaking to the economic impact of it. I'm going to tell you, basically today's show is going to come in three parts. Part one is going to be why you know it's happening and why you know it's only going to grow from here. Part two will be the reasons you really should be part of it if you do have kids if there's any way that you can. And part three is going to really go into the massive economic fallout that it's going to cause. If even 5% of existing parents who currently have their kids in the state system do it. And then I'm going to end the show today with things to ask yourself and some things I also expect to happen before I wrap it up with final thoughts. This is, this is absolutely important today. No matter where you are on the spectrum with children, because this is going to have an incredible impact on our future. And it's not, you know, the, all of these megatrends were things that were going to happen over 10 years. They were all things that were going to happen over 10 years. COVID killing the dying is accelerating them. Of, and the reason I decided to go into this one with you today is number one, I've kind of beaten up real estate a lot lately. So I don't feel like I need to do a, a show on that right now anyway. If I do one on real estate, as part of this this series, um, it will be toward the end since we've already done that. Number two, all of these trends in some way anchor back to real estate anyway. Okay, so I, I just didn't think we needed. And the, the, but the biggest reason, the biggest reason I've chosen this for today, it is the one that is least understood by the largest number of people as to what it really represents from a transformative standpoint. And it's also the one that instead of being condensed from 10 years into three or four years, which is scary enough, this is being condensed from 10 years into two. And the majority of it, I believe, will, you will see play out over one year. And the dramatic impact of this many people making this radical of a change in one year is going to be earth shattering, especially when you tie it back into things like migration, the dropping of real estate prices, the overall drop of the market that's coming, all of it. COVID is killing the dying. In today's show, we will not mention COVID hardly at all, other than we have to accept that it is an aggravating and accelerating circumstance 
for the subject we are having. That is it. That's the only reference to it that we need to have today. Before we do that, uh, I want to remind you guys you can help support the show by doing business with our sponsor. Sponsor day number one today is Western Botanicals. I am a huge believer in natural remedies and herbs. I believe that most of the things in our world that are kind of chronic in nature can either be corrected through the use of herbs or can be seriously mitigated, and many uh, many harmful medications can be avoided by using them. It doesn't mean it does everything, and I also think there's a huge place for supplementation, which is not what Western Botanicals do. It's not, you know, we're going to go get your multivitamins. But for the things that herbs do well, Western Botanicals is the best company I know to deal with. That's why they've been a sponsor of this show for a decade now. Check them out today, westernbotanicals.com. Next up, the Free State Project. You can learn more at fsp.org forward slash join. The concept of liberty in your lifetime is a real thing in the state of New Hampshire. Now, I know it's not in the cards for everybody to move to New Hampshire, but there's going to be a lot of moving going on. If you're going to be one of those people moving, you owe it to yourself to take a look at the Free State Project and the work that they're doing. Uh, and if you're not planning on moving, maybe it might be the right move for you anyway. And even if you're not going to go there, this is a, I mean, I'm not going to move to New Hampshire. It does not work in the cards for me and my family, and specifically for my family. But I have supported these, these folks for a decade now. There's a reason. So they can use your support, and we can learn from them no matter where we call home. Check them out today at the Free State Project, fsp.org, forward slash join. All right. With that, I got some other announcements for you. Number one. Today's show, we are going to focus on the education system, as you guys heard me announce in the beginning. But I am starting a series of articles, eight articles, on eight megatrends that are going to drastically transform and even cause some level of economic crash. And I hate to say that. You guys know me. I'm not an alarmist. But this is coming. And the only question is, how right am I and how bad will it be? Because I'm not wrong, <laughs> and it will happen. And the best that we can hope for is I'm not as right as I think I am, and it's not as bad as I say it's going to be. I, I liken it in today's article, the first one out in the series, that we were, over the, the decade between 2020 and 2030, this flux was coming. These megatrends were happening. They were already in motion. They were already well into progress, but they had about 10 years to play out. And they were going to be, essentially, think of it like you live in a coastal city, it's about to get wrecked by a Cat 3 hurricane. That's what was coming in December 2019. When COVID accelerated all this, you're now looking at a Category 5 storm that's going to come ashore moving very slowly and strafe the coast, meaning that it's going to do a lot more damage, a lot more flooding, and be a lot more of a problem a lot faster and stick around a lot longer. That's the best analogy I can give you. And the reason we're not going into real estate today, like I said, is because I've already kicked that can pretty hard on the air. But that's what today's article that I put out today is called, The Coming Economic Crash Part 1 Real Estate. I'm putting these articles out for a variety of reasons. The chief one, though, is for you guys to have something to share with your friends and family who you know will not sit through an hour to an hour and a half of Jack Spierko's podcast as an uninitiate, right? That they, you just, they know they're not going to do that, but they might read an article. Uh, these articles are written from a standpoint where they're very easy to understand. They're not full of hundreds of links. They're not full of all kinds of boring statistics. It just lays out the common sense case for what's about to happen. And I encourage you to read this article and share it with others today. I also encourage you to join me on Parlay, which is P-A-R-L-E-R.com, but it's pronounced, I've been told now, Parlay. I always spelled Parlay, P-A-R-L-E-Y. Uh, but it's for French, to communicate. And it's kind of like, uh, it's being marketed as a conservative alternative to Twitter. 
Twitter. I, I'm trying to, you know, bring some libertarian, anarcho, agorist flair over there. It seems to be going well. Um, my presence has grown really, really quickly, and I love the interface. It's really slick, and you might want to join me there. Uh, just go to parlor or parlay.com or get the app on the iPhone. It does have triple verification. Like, you have to answer a CAPTCHA, you have to answer a text challenge and stuff like that. But that's think of how many accounts have been hacked on Twitter. It's pretty hack-proof. Anyway, uh, so I wanted to give you that announcement as well. Let's, as we start today's show, let's start out with a quote of the day. I'm going to quote Malcolm X. I know that is a triggering figure for some, a controversial figure for some. Um, I actually like a lot about Malcolm X. He's not a triggering or controversial figure for me from a philosophy standpoint. But I don't care who you're quoting. I care how right their quote is and how you can apply it in your life. On education of your children, Malcolm X once said, only a fool would let their enemy educate their children. And before we even get into this today, I just would like you to consider that quote. And I would like you to ask yourself a question. Do you believe the state, in the form of the government, and the massive bureaucracy that goes with it, specifically within the school system, the education system, the K-12, through primary and secondary education, do you believe the people that run that system, we're not talking about this is nothing to do with teachers, do you believe the people that run that system really are out to do the best they can for you and your children, or do you believe they are out to do the best they can for themselves at the expense of you and your children? Are you happy with what your children are being taught in school? Do you believe that the education your children are getting is the best thing for them or that there's any way that it could be better? Do you see the government as your friend or your enemy? And I personally see the government as my enemy. They steal from me. They lie to me. They oppress my fellow Americans. They divide us. There's, I find nothing redeeming in government. And I'll be damned at this point any further if they're going to educate my grandchildren. And that's where I'm coming at from today. But I'm, again, I want to reinforce that I am coming at this from a standpoint of these are things that are happening. And you can say, you know what, Jack, I think you're wrong. I'm still going to participate in the state system. Or, Jack, I actually agree with you, but I don't believe that I can currently operate outside of the state system. Or, Jack, I ain't got any kids. You still need to understand to a great deal, what's going on today. So I want to start out with, why is this a modern survival topic? Number one, it may be cliche, but children are the future. And the way our children are going to be educated, and the flux in that education, is going to start affecting you way faster than you think it is. Think of a child that's in ninth grade. That child's four to eight years from being an active participant in our economy and our country as an adult. And, and give them another 10 years, and they're in that 30-year age demographic where they have kind of the most say of, of, of how things go from a consumer standpoint, and give them 10 more years, and they're in that 40-year-old demographic that has the most control in business and government and everywhere. Because I know you think the old white man with gray hair that's in the Senate is the one that controls things, but no, it's the corporation and its lobbyists that control everything. So children are your future. Even if it's a cliche, it doesn't mean any tr many cliches are cliches because they're true. The next is the economic impact is going to be huge. And I'll talk more about that today. But you're talking about a $640 billion dollar industry. 
We think of Walmart as the single largest employer in the United States. And as private companies go, they are. And as a single entity goes, they are. But if you think of primary and secondary education, which is K-12 education, I'm not even touching college today. If you think of K-12 education as a thing, and you realize that 100% of that industry, and I'm talking the public sector of that industry, all is a single giant hydra of government entity. They employ more people, a million more people than Walmart. Most of the people they employ are employed full-time. And for all the screaming and yelling about teachers being heroes that don't wear capes and being underpaid, they are paid well for professionals in the United States. And they have good benefits. And that extends, maybe not to the school bus drivers and such, but people like mechanics, facilities managers, janitors, etc., especially in many of the uh, more affluent school districts, are paid very well with very, very good benefits. You can't have something impact a sector that large and cause massive layoffs, which are coming, without having a, a massive trickle-down effect throughout the rest of the economy. This is going to be big, and you need to have your eyes on it, and it's going to tie in with these other seven other megatrends that we'll be talking about in the future. The megatrend will be far-reaching, and will have far-reaching implications beyond anything we're even going to discuss today. Our economy is like a web And it's kind of like if you've ever seen the thing where they show the spiders and they put the spiders on LSD and, and, and heroin and stuff. I don't know how you get a spider to do heroin, but they do it. And they show the spider web that's all kind of wonky all over the place and crazy. That's kind of, in a lot of ways, the web of interrelationship that many of our industries and, and sectors have. There's, there's threads that interconnect that you really have to dig deep to even see. But when you start pulling one, you get a mess everywhere. Just like when that fly goes into the spider's web and it all starts to tangle. And there's a lot of flies coming. And this is happening. That's another reason this is a modern survival topic. This isn't something that I'm like, this is what we should all do. Or I'm an advocate of this. Or you should consider this. I mean, I do feel that way. But it is not the perspective I'm coming from today. I'm coming from the perspective of this is occurring in front of you right now. And if you can't see it, it is only because... You do not want to see it, or you have been so accustomed to the system that you're dealing with some cognitive dissonance, and that's not an insult. I'm going to tell you a story of cognitive dissonance, dissonance that involves my wife today when I get to that part of the show. That's not an insult. We all can be in a state of cognitive dissonance, where just because something's always been away, we can't see the transformation even as it occurs. And this is happening. The only question now is how much and how fast. And, and brother, that makes it a survival topic. Okay, here's why you know it's happening and why you know it's only going to grow from here. First, I, I know this is sort of you know informal and it's not concrete. It's not a scientific study, what have you. But the direct feedback I've received already is pretty massive. My show has about 250,000 people a day that one way or another download it and listen to it and digest it and then give me some level of feedback. Now, of course, all of y'all don't give me feedback, but there's a segment of that that's a pretty good representation of society. Not maybe society as a whole. Anybody listening to the show is obviously concerned about self-reliance and self-sufficiency, etc. But in the end, it's still a big sample size. The, the amount of people that I've seen say, my children are never going back to school after this year of, of having them out for just a few months 
has has amazed even me. And you guys know I've been on this trend since at least 2014. I've been talking about this trend of, of homeschool growth. And homeschool has grown over the last 10 years by 25%. Okay? Student population has grown by two. So the total number of students, primary and secondary, has grown by 2%, and homeschool has grown by 25%. And it was, it's not like when it grew really fast in the 90s when the underlying number was small. You know, like where they say it's the biggest day ever for COVID cases in Sheboyganville, and it means there were four. It's not like that. I mean, you already were at a massive number. There's already over 2 million students that are currently homeschooled at secondary and primary education levels. Um, but the, the, the growth is clearly massive. I have also, through some interactions on social media, already been told, hey, I talked to my coworker or whatever, and uh, you know, I live in this place. We have three schools, like three elementary, three middle schools, three high schools, that type of thing, three junior highs, you know, a fairly large school district. And I've talked to some, several people already that said individual schools are closing permanently. They've already, like, they've already looked at what parents are telling them. And, and, and whether or not they're going to be sending Johnny and Susie back. And they've already made a determination to consolidate. So instead of having three per level or four per level, they're going to have you know two or three instead of three or four. Or in some cases, instead of two per level, consolidating all the one. Now, I'm not saying it's happened everywhere. I'm saying it's happening. So when I talk about schools closing their doors, and, and, and I've always been talking about it will eventually happen. Now it's happening. Right now. There are schools saying, we're done. Okay, now, you can't take all the teachers, all the facilities people, all that stuff, and cram it all into the other two or three schools. You can maybe, some of those teachers can keep a job. But you can't, you can't make that all go away. You can't reduce your number. If you have four schools per you know, tier, and you take away one, it's a 25% reduction in facilities. You can't take a quarter of teachers and then cram them into the other 75% of facilities effectively. It doesn't make any sense. And if schools don't reopen, this will only continue. Like, you can see this right now. This is not tomorrow. Um, next, in the, uh, I want you guys to never discount the power of the test drive. I'm the only person I know of. I may not be the only person. I'm the only person I know of. I try to qualify stuff like that. I don't try to brag or anything. Uh, but I'm the only person I know of using the term test drive to explain a lot of the things that are associated with COVID. When it comes to remote work, a lot of people got to test drive what it's like to work remotely, and employers got to test drive having their employees work remotely. And they found out, no, they're not going to screw off all day long. They're actually going to get to work. Well, on the same token, parents have had a test drive of home-based education. What I saw when it all started was an explosion on social media of frazzled, frantic, upset parents. It was a disaster. About two weeks into it, all those posts, not all of them, but 99% of them went away. And I started seeing posts about how much happier kids were, etc. And you can talk about, well, this child was abused or child abuse is up or whatever. That has more to do with lockdowns than it does with home-based education. And there's a lot of like special pleading fallacy going on right now, how children need to go to schools and stuff like that. The Republicans are the ones pushing the narrative, while the Democrats, who largely run the educational system, are slitting their own throats saying they need to stay closed. But 
the test drive happened. And, and what you need to understand is, I don't care if eight out of ten people you know say they're sending their kids back to the school. That would be two out of ten of the people you know aren't. That's 20%. And no matter how eminent the 80% are, the 20% is a massive number. There are about 55 million students in primary and secondary education in the United States on any given year in recent terms. 10% of that's 5.5 million. 20% of that okay, is 11 million. I think within two years, you could be as high as 15 million students no longer inside the educational paradigm that we think of. And that's because of the test drive. And then the big objection has always been, I can't. I don't know how. There's no way I can. I've always found this amusing as parents have to figure out what to do with their children three months out of the year for summer anyway. But for most, not all, most school districts in the United States, parents ended up doing some form of homeschooling, virtual learning, whatever, for about three months, followed by a three-month uh, vacation for, for summer vacation. That means that by the time Johnny and Susie need to go back to school, in the case of most parents and extended families, they have had their children not in school for six months. Now, if some of these schools don't open back up, that timeline, and some of them won't, that timeline continues. Bluntly, whatever it was that you needed to do to be able to have your child not in school after six consecutive months, you've done that thing. You've done it. Now, I'm not, I'm not, again, I'm not putting you down if you choose to send your kids back to school. Maybe they love their school. Maybe you love their school. Maybe you, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying logistically, Whatever needed to be done, somehow you've made it for 180-plus days. And in, in the case of many districts that are not going to have kids go back, because many of them aren't, or they're going to have kids come back for three days a week or half days or some stupid shit that's going to make more parents do this, the, the, the adjustment has occurred. And once the adjustment occurs... The primary objection, which is basically I need free state daycare, is gone. Doesn't have to be gone for everybody. 5% is an exodus that begins a black hole. 10, 15% is so massive is to be mind-bending as to its impact on the system, economically as well as logistically. Now, I do believe that there are compelling reasons to be a part of this, and I'm announcing today that unless something goes haywire with this plan, because in the end, they are not my children, they are my grand, or they are my son and my daughter-in-law's children, we will be homeschooling our grandson, and we will begin essentially what you would call a pre-K homeschooling for our granddaughter uh, this coming month. They're not going back. And, and, and the reality is they're not going back. The only question now is, will we use the, the curriculum Dorothy and I have found, and we recommend And in the end, my, my son gets to make, and my, my daughter and I get to make the decision for their kids. We'll, we'll honor their wishes. I really hope they go with what we found. I'll tell you more about that in a bit. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm doing this, and I've always wanted to. And I'm going to tell you flat out what got us to say yes to it. We experienced it. And we went, we can do this. And once we went, we can do this, we said we owe it to them to do this. 
So I do think you should be a part of it if there's any way you can. And I'm going to give you some really compelling things here, and that has a tendency to trigger people and make them upset. And I'm not big on trigger warnings. You know me, guys. But this is so important, and I don't want anybody to take the wrong way. So no matter what I say, no matter how it makes you feel about yourself, know this. That is you and your internal dialogue. I am making no accusations of anybody, and I'm not putting anybody down. And if you write me back and say, Jack, I've made a decision to send my kids to school, it doesn't even matter what reasons you put after that. My response would be good for you. And, and with no, no facetiousness whatsoever. A solemn understanding of your reasoning and a solid respect for your decision. So please understand that as I go through this. But... And the first one, you're going to be like, damn, he just smacked me in the face right after he said he wouldn't. I'm not smacking you in the face. I'm giving you my opinion of some facts that I believe is valid. And the reopening guidance that many of these schools are saying they're going to go with, I consider child abuse. I consider taking a, a 8, 9, 10-year-old kid, making them sit in a classroom, for eight to nine hours a day, including the recesses and their lunch and all that, wearing a mask to be child abuse. It's unnecessary and it's abusive. And there's more to it than that. I consider the concept of telling children, of especially that age, you have to stay six feet apart and constantly correcting the natural behavior of that child to end up eventually being abusive as teachers reach frustration because overall these opening guidelines are not practical. They're not practical. I mean, I, I, I picture, you know, like first or second grade teachers saying something like, remember to social distance, Johnny, as Johnny throws a booger at, at, at Tommy. You know? And, I mean, that like, that's how I, like, this is not going to work. And, and like, Tommy eats the booger, and then Susie kisses Tommy because she feels bad because it's clear that Tommy's not very smart because he's eating Billy's booger. Like, I see that as being the best-case scenario. And if you put a teacher into that scenario, where these teachers have also been hyped into believing that they're at risk from these children, you're going to get a very abusive environment, even if nobody wants it to be, even if everybody is Mother Teresa in their heart. So I think you're, we're, we're creating a system that's going to that's gonna make re-entry a form of abuse of our children. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to be beaten with sticks. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to be traumatically damaged. But I don't want my, I don't want my grandson in that environment. I don't want my grandson sitting at a desk with a freaking plastic wrap around it, which is one of the solutions I've seen. Like, this is not happening to my kid. Number two, the majority of students moving away from the school system are going to come from the top 25% of students by performance, income, and parental involvement. How do I know that? Because they already are. You tell me, now I know you might have your kid in school. Like, this is not personal. This is about aggregate averages. Who do you think, if you just randomly picked 100 students from homeschools and 100 students from the system and compared income of the parents? I'm telling you right now, unless you cherry-pick your district... This whole idea that all homeschoolers are a bunch of backwoods, trailer park, living crazy religious people is stupid. The, the homeschool demographic is quite affluent as an aggregate average. Which do you think would have greater parental involvement in their education? Well, homeschooling by its very nature must. Okay? And 
What about student performance? We can look at the performance. Homeschoolers are spanking public ed in every performance demographic, period. So it already is that case. So there is a predisposition for people of means and for people who are actively engaged with their children and who care a great deal about their education to be the ones that homeschool already. So of the 5, 10, 15%, and it's going to be somewhere in that range of people that go, screw this, they're not going back, the majority, not all, right? And I'm not saying, like, none of the good, wealthy parents that are actively involved and deeply concerned about their kids' education will say, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the, the aggregate average is your best are leaving, which is going to drive down the performance of the school, the quality of the education, etc., Because that's how the system is designed to work on averages, and if you remove the top, you lower the average. So schools are going to get worse. They're already bad. They're going to get worse. Government schools, by the way, are already using homeschool curriculum lessons and materials. I'll tell you a little bit more about Excellus Academy, who we're going to use in a minute, but if you go to their website, the first thing that you'll see is the statement that says an online accredited school like no other. Why are 4,200 public schools using our courses? So, of course, when my daughter-in-law told her mom, who is a teacher at a very poorly performing school, by the way, about this, she said, but, but you know, without public school, how will they get into college? And how, like, is it accredited? And yes, the answer is yes. And the pro thing to get in college is, the way you get into college is you have a high school diploma, which a homeschooler in Texas just makes their own, you have ACT or SAT scores, and you have a way to fund your education. That's, that's how you get into college. Like This is just not even a thing. But why are the public schools using the coursework? And Excellus isn't the only place where that's happening. More and more of these online education platforms are so comprehensive that teachers are able to actually like play videos and play lessons and sit back and guide the child through the learning instead of actively teach. Well, guess what, folks? You can do that at home. Because this concept that you have to do the teaching is irrational. You don't actually teach children. Children learn, and you guide their learning and empower and enable it. So the government schools are already using the homeschool curriculum. It's supposedly not as good. Now, if it's not as good, why are 4,200 districts, not schools, using this curriculum that's not as good? It's an illogical, you have to be brainwashed in this system to not answer that question with, well, clearly there's nothing wrong with the curriculum, okay? Homeschoolers have no problem getting to college. But there's a more, see, high schools are really big on a single statistic when it comes to college. The percentage of children that, that graduate our school that go on to college. Well, there's a lot of problems with that percentage of children who graduate, which means we take all the students who fail to graduate, and there's a lot of them. Some districts is as high as 50% failure to graduate rate, and we just throw them out. They don't count for this statistic. Okay, so now we're down to the students that graduated, what percentage of those go to college? So then they give you a number, whatever it is. But getting into a college, being accepted, is the only thing that's necessary for that student to go into that statistic. All the way up to and including, not only did the person wash out of the program, but the student gets accepted to a college, but then decides not to go. They still go into, you know, 
were granted entry into college. It's not successfully entered college. It's granted entry. But the real statistic, the one that you would actually know defines the quality of the education, if college is what you're looking at, because that's not the only thing to look at, but if it is what you're looking at would be what? The number of students, the percentage of students who not only go to college, but complete the program and graduate from college. Well, it's about 54% for the public education system across the board of students from public ed that enter college. So we're still throwing away all the ones that washed out or didn't go. Only about half of students who enter college from public ed eventually graduate college. 46% don't. Now, I'd love to tell you that 100% of students that go to college out of homeschool graduate. Actually, I wouldn't because I think a lot of students find out once they get to college that maybe they don't need a degree, maybe they want to do something else. And homeschool students actually are have a higher propensity to think independently and make that decision. Yet, instead of a 54% college completion rate, homeschoolers have a 67% college completion rate. So if you're worried about college then I do hope you're worried about actually completing the college program. Like, how how wasteful is it for your child to go thirty or forty or $50,000 into debt to go halfway through college and have essentially something that's pretty useless in finding a job? It's almost better to not have college than to have a half a college degree if you're not still an active student when you talk to an employer. Because the employer's like, what? Why'd you, why'd you flunk out? I didn't flunk out. I quit. They don't care. Why'd you quit? Does it mean you can't complete things? It's easier to not have the conversation and explain it away, even if there's a good reason for it. So if completing college successfully is important to you, homeschoolers do way better. Okay? I mean, it just is. And I want you to, again, think that, understand that teaching is really guided learning. And it can't be done in a conventional classroom. You can't have guided learning when you put 32 kids in desks Or 18 kids in desk in the same room teach the same curriculum at the same speed. You can't have guided learning. You have the ability to, to absorb and regurgitate. And, and that's why most people, when you come out of school, if you gave them a test they got an A on in 11th grade when they're 25 years old, they'll flunk it. Because they didn't actually learn it. Because they didn't have guided learning. They had information shoved down their face, then they crammed it, then they regurgitated it enough times to get the hell out of there, and then they didn't care about it anymore. Um, it's just basically no one-size-fits-all system can do as well at educating your children as you can. It doesn't exist. There isn't a school that can educate at the K-12 level better than any custom-applied system. Because, for instance, with Excellus, that we'll be sending Braylon to, I expect he'll have no problem completing his grade level across the board. But let's say he starts having problems. Well, you can back up in one subject. And go, well, I'm going to, if he's in fifth grade, you can go to fourth grade. Or if you're in fourth grade, you can go to third grade. And just, let's say, math. Until he catches up. Well, what if they, I mean, all the what ifs. I'm back to, if your aunt had balls, she'd be your uncle. You're still going to end up with most children, you know, essentially, quote unquote, graduating ahead of the time that they normally would have. And if they don't, all that means is in the one-size-fits-all system, they would have been left behind or maybe just you know, kind of look the other way and pass them ahead. They would never actually learn it. How many of you have subjects in school that you eventually passed, but you never really mastered? Because once you got to a certain level, you got just enough to get that C, 
or maybe even wink, wink a B, doing some extra credit or something, but you never really understood it, and then once you were past it, you're like, screw it. So you have the ability to help make make the conditions where your child can actually master the, the, the information before they go ahead. I also believe your child deserves freedom. Do you? I mean, it's a serious question. I, again, I'm not attacking anybody here, but I believe that my grandson and my granddaughter deserve as much freedom to be children as I can possibly give them. And do you feel that they have that in the state system? I don't. I just don't. So that's another reason. Just the fact that, like, look at your kids and say, do they deserve as much freedom as I can give them to be children while they are children during these precious years? Next, the system's going to continue to get worse. And it will accelerate from here. Do not discount what I told you. That the best students will leave. The best parents will take their kids out. Again, that doesn't mean you're bad if you don't. I'm talking about, I, I, I hate having to do this, but I know I have to. And I don't want to trigger anybody here. Normally I don't give a shit if I trigger you. I'm like, screw it, be triggered. This, since I'm so worried about what's going to happen here, it's really important to me that if you're triggered, you're triggered by what I'm actually saying, not what you think I said. But on aggregate average, your best students, your best families, are going to be the ones that leave. And once they leave, you've got to think about this too, tying back to real estate. If I'm living in a place where I'm paying stupid property taxes because I want, quote-unquote, better schools, and I pull my children out of the school where I now have control over their curriculum, Do I need to stay there? Why am I paying stupid pro? This accelerates the migration. And that drives that school's performance even lower as its tax-based dwindles. Again, this is not my opinion. You can see this happening now. They are shitting a brick. They're shitting a brick right now because they know this is happening. Teachers are terrified by this. And at the same time, they're screaming... Let's not reopen schools. But they all live in a little fantasy land where they all think they're going to do virtual schooling. They think they're going to be part of the home uh, work workers' uh, revolution. And all these children are going to stay in the state system and be virtual school. And it's really reasonable to think we need to employ a teacher to teach 22 kids remotely instead of one really good teacher to teach 150 because we can automate so much. They believe that. Well, it's not happening. It's going to continue to get worse. And I'm going to tell you the last reason you should try to get involved if you can and, and, and take part in this. You only think it limits you. But it frees you as well. Isn't it time that you embrace total freedom for not just your child but for yourself? It frees you to have the biggest influence over the mind of your child. And every objection that I hear to it, I, I'm sorry But when you really analyze it, it's me, 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 me. I will have to give something up. Yes, you will. The question when you have to give something up is simple, though. Is what you gain worth the sacrifice? For me, it was much easier in my mind that during the day, the school week, which is when I do my work, there would be one child in my home instead of two during the hours that I do most of my work, like right now. It's 1.27 as I record. And with an understanding that starting next year, Tegan and Braylon would both be in the school system 
and I would have my days while I'm working completely free of distractions, children, and, and then being pulled out of what I'm doing to aid with their education or to deal with something. Because when you have children, you have things to deal with. And that's true. It would be easier for me to keep things the way that they've been from a lot of different vantage points. It would be easier for my wife. She would only have the kids a couple hours a day. And as they get older, there's less that they need. And, I mean, it would get within a couple of years. This was going to be really, really easy. Now we're taking a step back. We have to do more. When I look at my grandson, when he gets done with his work, and I look out my window while I'm working, and I see him running in my backyard, the trade-off is not even close. When I take a walk with him, and he says, that's a Muscovy duck, and he knows the difference. It's There's no trade-off. When I can have conversations with a child who's nine and drag him just one year up intellectually and he enjoys it and it challenges him and he rises to it, the trade-off is not even worth considering. And I know some of you may have bigger trade-offs. Look at your kids. Are they worth it? Now, let's talk about the massive economic fallout because if all I wanted was a good economy... I'd say this is a terrible idea, <laughs> and let's not do this. So there's a sacrifice that's going to be made, because people are going to do it. It's going to accelerate, number one, the migration that's going to cause a real estate crash in a lot of markets. Because, again, I don't have to stay here anymore. And if I'm a parent, and I've switched to working from home and homeschooling, and I'm living in L.A. or Seattle or Portland... And when I go to the store, there's a homeless person taking a shit in the street. And my property taxes are through the roof. And I have a little 3-2 house that makes this homeschooling thing harder. Because I've got three kids or two kids or whatever, and I'd like more space, maybe a dedicated classroom. And that, that house, I'm carrying a $750,000 mortgage on that house. And I look at Realtor.com, and I can move to a thousand other cities. And buy twice the house for half the money and a quarter of the taxes and not walk past homeless people shitting in the street when I need to go to Target. And I don't have to worry that riders are going to burn my city to the ground while the police do nothing. What the hell do you think I'm going to do? And this move to homeschooling by the most affluent, productive members of society. Yeah, not all of them. The, the macro demographic is entrepreneurs, high-wage earners, actively engaged and involved parents who put the education of their children above their own happiness. These are the people you want to keep in the school system. They're the people you want to keep in your city. You want to keep them in your town. They're the first ones that are going to leave. And that accelerates the real estate problems. And there's a lot of those. Read the article I put out today to understand that more. It will dilute the tax bases of many cities and counties. There will be people that will strategically abandon mortgages this way. They still have good credit, etc. They'll literally go buy a new house. So they have two houses. And there'll be all kinds of incentives to try to prop up real estate that'll make it easy for them to get loans. Then they'll see if they can sell their house break even or loss, and then if they can't, they will write a piss-off letter to the bank and a piss-off letter to the local community that they've been part of 
You have not seen the money. The bank, really, it's not the bank's fault, right? But a lot of people will feel that way. It happened in 08, 09. I covered it, repeatedly covered it. People acted like turning the house back to the bank was like returning jeans to Walmart. And that doesn't work that way. But that's how people think. But there were a lot of letters. There were like Dear John letters to a city. You keep raising my taxes. You don't do anything. I've had enough of this shit. Choke on it. And, and, Alabama, and then they don't necessarily need credit because they already have another house. And all the bank can do is repossess that house. There are people that do it that way. A lot of these people are people that are low on debt and have paid down their mortgages and have lots of equity. So even at the beginning of the market problems in real estate, they'll be able to unload their house. Maybe not for what they wish they could get. They could still live with money in their pocket. And then they lower their cost of living to the point where one parent can stop working or start working part-time from home. And all of a sudden, homeschooling is easy. Again, this mega trend was already happening. We've just accelerated it. I believe... <laughs> This is, this is going to be hard for a lot of y'all to swallow, and I want you to understand why. The reason this is hard to swallow is our education system has been essentially the same since the 1850s, 1860s. In earnest, at the 1880s, and almost identical since the 1920s. That's a century plus of everything being this way. And like anything in government, all that system has done is grow and grow and grow and grow to the point where mass delusion has convinced us we must have this thing. We must have this. There's no way to live without it. Test drive came. Wait a minute. Mass delusion for 10, 15% of people, gone. They're not, it's not that there's not a majority of people that still participate in the mass delusion. It's all the people that refuse to now. And that's going to cut schools massively. Many schools are going to have to turn to virtual school. That's going to cut teacher headcount. Many schools are going to have to close. I mean, again, I'm telling you, schools have already announced we are closing this school. We are closing this school and consolidating to this other school. And that was a mega trend already happening. But this has happened very quickly. So I, I know you're going to have a hard time swallowing the number I'm about to give you. But I predict as many as a third of teachers will be laid off by 2024. My old prediction was 50% laid off by 2030. Now I'm accelerating to a third by 2024, and I, I think I'm being conservative. I'm actually lowering that number lower than I think it is so that some of you will accept it, because it's going to be that hard to accept. But again, it's not just those teachers. It's administrators, facilities people, mechanics. But boy, you better really think about the teachers, and this is why. I'm going to give you a, a typical teacher. And you're going to think I'm personally attacking her or him. And I'm not. I'm just giving you a typical teacher today. 53 years old. Expecting a retirement that never runs out. Now, I know that's not the case in a lot of the southern schools. Teachers down there are more of the 4013B type. They don't have pensions, etc. But in a lot of places, especially these big cities that are going to really cave in, a lot of these teachers are Cadillac pension programs. And Cadillac insurance, health insurance that lasted for life. So 53 years old, had a job that they thought, the only way I will get fired is if I rob a post office or something. Like, like, and that literally, that's what it takes in some of these schools to get fired as a teacher. As long as you just do what they tell you to do and show up most of the time, you can keep a job 30, 40 years. So that's where they were mentally. They have a lot of education and certification, but it's all directed around teaching, let's say, the fifth grade. So you're a 53-year-old that's pretty much taught grade school, most recently fifth grade, for your whole life. 
You've never held a job outside of the government education system, other than maybe you worked part-time for Dairy Queen or something when you were in college. Now, that's not a value judgment. That's just, that is typical. That person loses their job teaching. Is teaching jobs fold in on themselves. They were clearly not the best teacher because they weren't one of the ones that the school kept. Who's going to hire them to do what? Now, the reason I picked 53, I know a 53-year-old man. He's older now, but he was 53 when this happened. He's a regional sales vice president of a major U.S. corporation who had never failed to meet quota once in almost two decades. And at 53, this corporation looked at him and said, you're old, we can hire somebody younger for less money, we can not pay you a retirement. And they cut him loose. 20 years of experience, regional sales vice president, never missed his number, can't find a job. Can't find a job because everybody looks at him, too much experience, too old. Okay? He has a lot of value. I've kind of guided him toward, hey, maybe you should do some consulting and stuff like that, even do some volunteer work with some organizations so you can get exposure, etc. But basically, he's like, screw it. Done. Quit. Fortunately for him, he was good at investing. He put a lot of money away. They're downsizing their home, and he's probably just going to enjoy his retirement now. How many teachers are not in that place? These people are not getting jobs. And if they do get jobs, they're not getting professional jobs with full benefits and great pay. And 180 days a year off, by the way. I'm not getting that. And I know some of you get offended when I say, that's what a teaching job is. That's part of what it makes. You know, they are paid a little less on average, but they're paid well for the professional income bracket that they're in and for the qualifications that they have. They really are. They're paid well. Not paid at the top. They're paid at the median because when you have a public sector, everybody's going to be paid at the median. right? But it's, it's a good enough living. And he said, well, I can't even afford to live in the district I work in. I'm going to tell you something about those teachers. They can afford to live close. No teacher drives three hours every day to get to school. They won't be able to afford where they live when they lose their jobs. And they will not be able to get a job that replaces their income. If they find a job, it will not come close to replacing their income. That's going to create trickle-down economic effects for every business in every district where it happens, right down to the pizza joint. Less money, less spending, Worse economy. Period. This is not a maybe. This is happening now. This is a $640 billion market. That's a half a trillion dollars. That's how much money is at stake. And in the end, this is a good thing. But think of it this way. The addict is about to lose all access to his drugs. Withdrawal is going to be a bitch. And then the, the counties, the cities are going to lash out, and they're going to try to do the exact opposite of what makes sense. They're going to try to raise taxes to make up for the shortfall, to save the dying beast, while property values plummet. Which will do what? What are you going to do if you live in a house that's worth about $180,000, you've already been paying taxes on like $225,000, and you've had enough income that you were willing to do it, and just like, okay, fine, And all of a sudden, houses like yours start selling for $120,000. You're going to protest your tax assessment. And your house can be a $300,000, a $500,000, a $800,000, a $200,000. It doesn't matter. When that happens, when you pull up comps and houses are selling for 40% to 50% under your assessment, if you have any brains at all, whether your income has been impacted at all or not, you're going to protest your taxes. And what are you going to do when they say, nope? Choke on it. 
and you're going to leave. Not everybody, but enough. Cities are built on, every government is built on eternal growth. They can't handle zero growth and zero loss. It will destroy any government program built today. Must have, there must be more tomorrow than there is today. Between this year and next year, it has to go up or it starts to completely fall apart because they're all built on essentially Ponzi schemes. Legalized and, and very sustainable Ponzi schemes when things stay the way we expect them to. No major city, no major school district, no major government bureaucracy can handle 1% of decline without beginning to fall apart, let alone 10 or 15 or 25. And if you have a 25% decline, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of a 50% reduction in headcount because how expensive it is to take care of people after they retire from these jobs. There's a whole bunch of stuff we've covered over the years that I've told you about, like pensions and benefits and stuff, that, that all must come to a head. Now they're all going to come to a head much faster, and cities are going to have to deal with them. $640 billion market. That's not college. That's just primary and secondary education in the public sector alone. $640 billion, not million, $640 billion. Half. That's how big that market is. It's half of generally what, what Americans pay in personal income tax. We pay about a trillion, 1.2 trillion. Half of 100% of government's receipt of, of tax from individuals in one market. It's about to collapse by 10, 20, 30%. With people coming out of it that don't have good prospects for new jobs. That's how bad, that's why you, that's why this matters to you even if you don't have kids. Things I want you to ask yourself though if you do. Even if you don't. Just ponder this for me. Why are Republicans in such a rush to send your kids back to a school? And when I say it that way, you might be like, well, the kids need school law. Okay, let me, let me rephrase it. Why are Republicans in so, so much of a rush to send your ba kids back to a failing liberal run school system? We all know liberals run the school system. The conservatives are trying, the ones actually trying to, in a very misguided way, save public education right now. The Democrats are literally putting a rope around their neck, tightening it to where they're on their tiptoes on a tree branch, taking a watering can and watering the tree with fertilizer and kicking their shoes off. That's how bad Democrats are handling this in, in their own self. Why are Republicans trying to salvage that system. So I had people today say, so the people can go back to work. Most people that have work to go back to are back at work. Most people that have work to go back to are already back at work. They've done whatever they needed to do to deal with the fact their kids aren't being babysat by the state all day long. No, it's a $640 billion industry. And most of the companies that make massive amounts of money off the school system, the private entities that sell into the education system, that do the construction, the building, that build stadiums, that build new schools, that service the networks, they're owned by rich Republican companies. That's why. Because they don't want to lose their money. And Republicans are statists just like Democrats are statists, and they are fine with your enemy educating your child. Because they are your enemy. That's why. 
All the shit you hear on Fox News, every time you hear it, I want you to think, every single time, it's so important that these kids, home learning is a failure. We've all seen it fail. Think about the kids. The kids are happier. The kids are happier and they've learned plenty. And they have more freedom. It's not a failure. The system they're advocating is a failure. It's been a failure for decades. We throw more and more money into it. It performs worse and worse. It's a black hole for money to go into. And it never gets better. The, the quality of the education of our children has gotten worse for 40 consecutive years in spite of spending more money every single year. Why would supposed small government Republicans that are you know pro-family, etc., want you separated from your children? Because money, that's why. Next, have you ever asked a teacher what's wrong with the system? Like, have you ever had a conversation with a, sister and a teacher instead of saying, I think education sucks? I think teachers suck. I think school sucks. Whatever. Instead of saying, I just go, are you completely happy as a teacher? Do you think schools are doing the best job they can for our children? Do you see any problems whatsoever in the education system? If you ask those questions in a non-accusatorial way, and you actually get a teacher to open up, they will tear the system up way worse than me. I mean, by the time you're done listening to them, it sounds like they run a concentration camp. And in some ways, they do. In some ways they do. I know it's not the same, and I'm not saying that, but I'm saying in some ways. It sounds like they run a small prison, and in many ways they do. They run a you know a day prison. It's, it, yes, it's concerned with education, but you can get, go to school when you're in jail, too. They have whole programs for it. You look at the way kids... like, And if you listen to them, they will be the most critical. Then all I want you to do, the next time you have a conversation with a teacher... And you don't say anything. In fact, the, once you get them going, the more you say good about their schools, the more they will say bad. So let them. And then ask this question. Why don't you change it? Why don't you do something to change that? Why don't you at least change it inside your own classroom? They'll give you a hundred reasons they can't. So if they can't change it, do you think going to PTA is going to change it? Ask yourself that. It'll start to make you think differently about how you manage to do this if you want to. If you don't think you can do this, and when I say that, I mean if you don't think you're capable, not of the logistics of it, like how do I financially, logistically, etc. Do you possibly feel that you're not good enough to educate your child? That you won't be able to teach them you know, 11th grade math when they get there? Understand, if you have like an 8-year-old right now, You're not going to be helping an 8th grade level person learn 11th grade math. You're going to be helping a 10th grade level person learn 11th grade math. Right? But do, do you really think you're not good enough? And if you do, are you just letting fear control you? Because you know that's been a common theme here. Don't let fear control you. And I think a lot of people don't think they're good enough. Next, are you stuck in cognitive dissonance? Is there something that you believe... That's simply not true, and even when you're told it's not true, even when you say it's not true, you still believe in your heart that it is true. And this is not an insult. Cognitive distance affects us all. I'm about to tell you the story of a conversation that just happened this weekend between my wife and Mike and Sue LaPriest, because I knew that they could explain it better than me. So I got them on the phone together. And what Mike and Sue, and more Sue than Mike, were able to get out of my wife that I hadn't. We had a bunch of conversations about this. And I didn't really realize where her cognitive dissonance was and where her hang-up was. My wife could not accept the reality that in the state of Texas, 
that you don't have to have any approval at all from the state of Texas on anything that you do or any way that you do it. And the state of Texas has, has no determination whatsoever in whether or not your child, quote-unquote, graduates high school. But there's nothing that they get to say about it at all, unless you ask them to, unless you invite the, 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 the vampire into your home. They don't. All you do is fill out one piece of paper that says, we're done. And if they say, well, what curriculum are you using? None your business. Well, exactly how? None your business. And that you can take your child at their pace through their education, and you don't need anybody at all from the state of Texas to come by and check off any box ever. Never. Ever, never, 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 ever. Now, I know in some states you don't have as much school freedom. So you might not have that much freedom. But this was holding my wife back from, let's pick the best curriculum for our grandson. Which, again, I think we found with Excellus. Because it's the best secular program that I found. And we kind of don't want to do what a lot of homeschoolers do, which is I'm going to use Khan Academy for math, and I'm going to use this thing for this. and I'm use We kind of want a one-size-fits-all. And if it, here's the beauty. If we find that, hey, maybe they're a little bit lacking on science, which I, I know that's not going to be where they're lacking, but it just, for instance, well, we could go somewhere else for just science. Or if we think he's having problems with math, we could use Khan Academy to help him understand the math lessons that they're giving him. Like, what is your choice when you go to ABC School District? Shut up and send your kid to school. Well, my kid's not doing well there. Shut up and send your kid to school, or we'll fine you or arrest you. Shut up and send your kid to school. Do you understand? That's the system you're in. Shut up, pay your taxes, send your kid to school, and if you don't, we'll make you. And my wife struggled with the fact that you could actually say, piss off, no, we're not doing that. Once I saw it happen, it, and it was like I could see her like not clinging to it, but unable to accept for like about five minutes during this conversation, and I saw click, click, I can do this. And then it was done. Next thing I know, we're watching their online learning and enjoying it ourselves. And she's excited and telling our son and daughter-in-law about it. It took breaking that belief that someone somewhere from the state of Texas had to say this is okay. And that might not be it for you. But is there something that you're convinced is true that's not true? Even though you know better. Because she knew, she could have told you what, I, what they said. But she didn't really believe it. She struggled with it. But as soon as the tether was cut, it's over. That's how the state controls you in every way. There's so many things you believe you have to do or so many things you believe you need them for. And they know that even though you know better, you can't break that. And guess where you learn that? School system. That's why I call them indoctrination centers. So do you want your child brought up that way so that they too struggle with this cognitive dissonance? Or do you want them to realize their full potential? No matter what they do with it, do you want them to realize their full potential? I don't mean realize as in have it occur. I mean realize this is my full potential. These are all the options that I have. Or do you want them to believe that they're boxed in? What do you want for them? That's one of my questions for you today. Do you think you're going to be alone in all of this? That's another question I have for you. I think a lot of homeschool parents feel like, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be all on my own with this. You're not. There are thousands of homeschool communities online. And there's tons of people right around you homeschooling right now that they have cooperatives, they have activities. It's, there's more help than you can imagine. And these are people who don't just 
they're not just willing to help you, they want to help you. They are the most outreaching group of people for their cause I have ever met outside of religion, ever, for anything. And yes, many of them are religious, many of them are secular. There's entire groups that are 100% secular. Let me be clear on my thing with religion. I don't have any problem with having my child engaged or my grandchild engaged with a group that uses a religious component. Like if they're doing uh, an activity or something like that. Or even some lessons that bring in faith. I don't have a problem with that. What I don't want is my core science curriculum to teach creationism. Especially creationism as the only way that we got here. I don't even mind a curriculum that teaches both evolution, creation, and some sort of merged third option, all his theories. But I don't want, and that's what I want. Now, here's the thing. If you're thinking, well, I do. Great, you can have that. Is the state giving you what you want? See, this is the thing. We can all have what we want. There's literally hundreds of really great companies providing all of this learning material competing for your business instead of one telling you you have to take it and swallow it. Next question for you. Do you fear social interaction will suffer for your child? And have you ever really thought about that? What kind of social interaction are kids getting in our schools right now? Bullying? Exposure to drugs? I mean, if you just randomly went and pulled 20 kids out of a high school, do you think you would feel like, I really want my child around those 20 kids? Or what percentage of those 20 kids do you think you'd really want your child around? Well, they're being forced to be around them right now. Why don't you just simply accept the fact that you can have voluntary social interactions for your child? Just like you have. You don't spend a lot of time around people you don't want to spend a lot of time around. Not outside of work anyway, do you? And if you are truly an enlightened person, you've either figured out how to minimize your contact with people at work that you don't like. And I know customers, etc., depending on your job, but I mean, the coworkers. And you always have the freedom to go work for a different company or to start your own business or to do something different. You always have that freedom. You put your kid in a school and they're forced to associate with people who they don't want to associate with, and they don't have a choice. You might have made a choice because of a lot of reasons, and you might not be completely happy, but it might be the best choice for you, but you've had the opportunity to make a choice. We shove our children into these schools, they don't get a choice. If they get bullied, we tell them to deal with it. It's part of growing up or whatever. It's insanity. It's insanity. Do you really think you can't do better than a state's monopoly-driven system? My wife, also I found during the conversation with Mike and Sue, was doubting her own ability. And Sue just told her like all of the statistics about how shitty the public education system really is. She's like, you're not going to do worse than this. They have a 50% failure rate. Do you think you have less than a 50% chance of getting your, your grandchild through his grade level? No. Well, then you can do better than their average. I think a lot of people really feel that they can't do it. You can what is more important than your child, their freedom, their ability to learn, and their ability to choose? That's another question I have for you if you're on the fence about this. What's more important to you? To me, not a lot. Not a lot. Do you, if the average homeschooler, this is a fact, the average homeschooler completes their daily work in about two and a half hours. And most people, once they adapted to the virtual learning from even the state's system during the COVID shutdown found the same number to be true, about two and a half hours. If your child can do their schoolwork in two and a half hours a day, and your state has them in, a, in their facility for eight to nine hours a day, what are they doing with your children for the other six hours? 
I'm not even going to answer that for you. I have answers, but I'm not. I just want you to ask yourself that question. If my child can complete all their work in two to two and a half hours a day, what is the school doing with my child for the other six hours? And are you okay with it? Do you think it's a good use of their time? And my other question for that is, if my grandson can do his work in two to two and a half hours a day, and he can because we watched him do it once he adapted, why does he come home with homework after they have him for eight hours? Really? Why? It doesn't make any sense to me. You answer that one for yourself. This is some things I expect to happen, too, though, going forward with this. I think one spouse incomes through the job loss due to the greater economic issues will aggravate this. Like, this will make this go faster. There's going to be people, they're not going to choose, well, what's going to happen is mom is just going to not work anymore and stay home and homeschool the kids. What's going to happen is mom or dad are going to lose their job and not be able to replace it. Or they're going to find they can replace a portion of it with some, some sort of work from home option, which is going to be a growth sector. But they can't replace all of it. Well, you might as well homeschool now. Like, that's going to happen. Many will finally do the math. There's a lot of families where dad or mom has a really good paying job. And it's what they rely on for benefits, etc. And in, like, not everybody's going to lose their job in the next two years. Some people will keep their jobs. A lot of people will keep their jobs. More people will keep their jobs than won't. Still a shitload of people are going to lose their jobs. But that person with that really good job, especially the one where it, you're ideally situated to be a remote working candidate, they're going to do the math and figure out that the other spouse who has a low-paying job with all of the adjustments they make for like part-time daycare or whatever, that that person working actually is costing the money or breaking even, that they could just quit and homeschool and be the same or even a little bit better. And I've talked to dozens of people that they said, well, we really were sure. <laughs> we were really sure that financially it made sense for you know one of us to work or for both of us to work. And when we did the math, it didn't make sense. Like by doing these things, taking this part-time gig on, blah, 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 we actually are financially the same, and we get to do this now. More people are going to do that. Many affluent families homeschool. And what I see coming next, and I, I'm going to try to do some things to make it happen, is scholarships for homeschool. I'm going to tell you about Excellus Academy in a minute, but if, if you go to Excellus Academy, it can be $250 a month, or it can be $80 a month with one little action. So how hard is it to set up a scholarship fund to fund students going to a great school for $80 a month? It's not. There are people that would be like, really? That's how it takes? What's your selection process so I know that you're doing a good thing with my money? Oh, okay, that's what you do. You know what? I'll send 10 school. Here's eight grand. Here you go. I'll send eight students to school for a year. There's people that write way bigger checks to scholarship funds than $8,000. I know people that homeschool that are multimillionaires. A lot of them. I'm telling you right now, as soon as people start to see this, and there are people who like don't have kids, but they really believe in this, and if they could write a check to some place for $25, $50 bucks a month, and, they, and, and, and the agency that ran the scholarship runs, this is how we select students, this is how we ensure that they're using it right, this is the feedback we expect, and this is how, we like, this is how they maintain their scholarships down to scholarships that are designed so that 
certain materials can be purchased. Who knows? I mean, it's unlimited. That's the beauty of getting outside the system. You can do anything you want. I can even see cryptocurrency playing a role in this. It's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And if there was a place that was doing this right now for the kind of program that I believe in personally, the one that I think's best, because it doesn't mean the other one's bad. It just means, like, with free choice, I'm going to choose what I think's best. That's why homeschooling's a better option, because you get to choose what you think's best for your child. Are they your child or are they a state's child? So in that case, if I see what I think is best or what I think is really good anyway, I'll support that because I want other people to be able to do it. This is not even a hard sell with me. I'll do an auto-subscription with PayPal. I don't care. It's coming. Co-ops are going to explode. Co-ops are going to explode. There's going to be so many new co-ops being formed. People are Right now, I'm watching people in some of our groups reach out to each other to create co-ops. I'm watching people in, in John Bush's Freedom Cells start to talk about creating co-ops. Like, this is all, this is not gonna happen. This is all happening. Let me tell you a little bit about this Excellus Academy, though. And I, I, I'm gonna tell you very little, because I don't want this to be the infomercial for Excellus Academy, because I have no practical experience other than looking in from the outside, but it's pretty much, unless for some reason my son and grand, uh, daughter-in-law decide they don't want to do it, it's the, the, the curriculum we're gonna use. Um, the gentleman that, that founded this organization is named Roger Billings. Um, he's been referred to as Dr. Hydrogen. He's like the guy that created the first ever hydrogen car. He's the guy that developed the he didn't it wasn't called back then, but he's, he developed the original gigabit Ethernet um, technology. He he put gigabit Ethernet across barbed wire at a trade show at Las Vegas at a time when people didn't believe that you could run a gigabit across the existing cabling infrastructure that we have for computer networks. He's like, well, I can run it across barbed wire. He developed that technology. Now they ran it across, you know, a few feet of barbed wire. You're not going to run, you know, full channel link length, but he did that. He's an incredible guy, and he built this whole Excellus learning program that uses what they call a learning accelerator program. And public schools again are using it like crazy. He also a big part of creating what's known as the National Academy of Science, which is a college that you can go to for both graduate and postgraduate, earn a PhD or a DSC at. Best I can tell, if you get into the National Academy of Science, you get in for free if you get in. I can't find a way to pay the money. The application is application for scholarship. Because apparently a lot of people support this organization with money. Which, by the way, is how most college used to be. Back in the 20s, if you went to college, 90% of the time you didn't pay anything. Almost everybody went on some sort of endowment, scholarship, etc. That's how college used to be, up until around World War II, the GI Bill, etc. And then they created a tit with government loans for the, the university system to grow bloated upon. And this seems to work the old way. This is incredible. And they have a video a week that your student can watch. It's an hour long. I really enjoyed watching several of them. We watched my wife and I watched several of them. One was on the history of fireworks and the chemistry and science in them. Uh, there was one on uh, on wheat, ancient wheat, and all the problems that new wheat. I mean, this is interesting stuff. And I have to say, Billings is of the presenters. There's like multiple presenters in every episode. He's probably the flattest of the presenters. He's good. I really like him. But some of his other presenters are much more engaging. And some of this stuff is kind of brought down to like a level of my grandson. And some's like at a level that's honestly probably collegiate level. 
And you know what? He can be exposed to all of that. The higher you set the bar, the higher the runner jumps. And this is the whole point of this. If they'll log in, if your student will log in and watch that weekly broadcast, the tuition at Excellus goes from $250 to $80. $80 a month is cheap for a high-quality education. And from what I can see, it's outstanding. And yet, let's say you don't like Excellus. Don't go there. Let's say you try Excellus, you don't like it. Go somewhere else. And this is the big thing I think we really need to understand. If you pull your kid out of the state system, and after a year or three months, or whatever, you decide this just isn't working and the state really is better, you can always go back. They will not tell you no. They won't say they can't come back. They will walk, they'll beg you to send them back. Why do you think they try so hard to keep you from leaving, though? And I found this interesting. My sister-in-law is a teacher, and my in-laws on the other side of my son's marriage are both teachers. And when this was brought up, the first well, well, well uh, are they accredited? Well, the answer to that is yes. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> what about school? What, I mean, what, what, what about college? No understanding whatsoever. And again, the headline on the on the website for Excellus: Why are 4,200 public schools using our courses? Well, that could just be a claim, Jack. You think? You think you can put that on your website in 2020 and not have your ass torn apart if you're lying? You don't think they can back that shit up? Teachers are scared. Teachers are scared of these things. They're terrified. These, these learning technologies are not just taking kids out of the school system. They're replacing teachers inside the school system. And it's not just Excel. There's tons of places doing that. But I'm going to tell you why I think no teacher should be sought for their opinion about whether or not you should use a service like this to educate your child. What do you think would happen if you had, let's say, Spectrum for your cable TV provider? And you called up Spectrum, talked to one of our CSRs, and said, you know what, I'm thinking about picking up like two or three streaming services and cutting y'all out, like not using you anymore. I'm going to use, like I realize I only watch these channels and that if I put together these streaming services, I can pay $50 a month instead of the $150 a month I'm giving you. Do you think they're going to be like, you know what, that's a fine plan. I think you should do that. Or do you think they're going to tell you all the reasons made up or otherwise, that you shouldn't leave Spectrum. Oh, you don't want to do that. You know, they're unreliable. Well, wait, what's unreliable is your Internet service. If that's the case, Netflix works just fine as long as you're in. Maybe I need a new Internet provider. See how that conversation. But any, imagine that you go to any entity and you ask somebody wholly vested in that entity that makes all their money from that entity what their opinion is about a competitor to that entity. Only the most intellectually honest people. I mean, you got to be way above board with intellectual honesty and informed at the same time. Because remember, they're educated by the system that they depend on, too. You have to have a wholly informed, totally intellectually honest person to get an opinion that's anything other than, oh, no, you don't want, I mean, God, that's just awful. Go ask a, you know, the average doctor what they think about chiropractic care. They have an awful opinion. That's what they were taught. They don't know anything about it. So don't worry what teachers think about homeschooling. Because the vast majority of them hate it because it's a direct threat to the system they depend on. Doesn't mean they're bad people. It just is. Anyway, my final thoughts today on this subject. Number one, 
I want to be so clear here. This is not me saying I think this is going to happen. This is me saying this is what's happening. I'm putting some, and I think this is how far it will go into that opinion. But all of this has been happening and is happening faster now. You go research it and you will find every claim that I've made that is you know, based on an actual number, a statistic, valid. You will not be able to disprove a single, single thing I've claimed. So this is happening. You are going to have to deal with it. And if you are not going to remove your child from this system, the quality of what they've been receiving that you're probably already not happy with will go into decline. I also think there is a there's a wild card. And I don't like to talk about wild cards when I have no idea what they are, but I just feel there's a wild card. I feel there's some plan from the leftists to do something with the system that's beyond virtual school or something like that that we can't clearly see yet. There is, and, and, and it's probably behind the scenes, it's the leftist and the right working together because it always is. Again, some of y'all really need to read Illuminati's trilogy, even though it's all fiction. When you understand the hierarchy of all the organizations in it and how background are actually all controlled for the same end by the same people, it really helps with pattern recognition here. Because lobbyists write the laws. Lobbyists set the agenda. And lobbyists do this not just at the federal level. They do it all the way down to your township level. Lobbyists go in. It's easier to buy a town council than it is the whole damn U.S. Senate or half the U.S. Senate. Much easier. Cheap. And every form, every lower level of government can only add to governance, right? You can't have the city of Dallas take away and nullify federal law. They can take a shot at it, but it ain't going to work. The state of Texas may be. It's still difficult. But in general, the general flow is every lower level of government adds regulation, adds control, adds taxation, creates more government on top of the existing network, Right? So what we have now is a system feeding on itself. We have a system feeding on itself, and it's going to keep feeding on itself. We're entering a black hole for the government system. We were entering a system where I'm calling it an octopus, partially due to some of the, the, the stuff that I've read by Masanobu Fukuoka. He likes that analogy of the octopus, but it's also because I have the eight trends. The octopus is eating its own legs. It's not sustainable. And this is happening. And it's what's coming. And on some levels, I'm actually very happy about it, but I'm not really excited about some of the pain that it's going to cause. And it's up to you. It's up to you how you're going to respond to it. But do not think today's show is a prophetic show. It's a fact-based show on what is occurring in front of you right now. And the only way that you don't see it is you don't want to, or you are so in some way tethered by some piece of cognitive dissonance that you can't see, that you don't even know it's there. And again, that's not an insult. I, I, I love my wife more than any other human that walks the planet. She's the most amazing person I know. If it can do it to her, there's none of you that I doubt that it can do it to. There's none of you that I have more respect for than my wife, nor should I. So... If I'm willing to say this was going on with her, and I'll tell you, there were times in my life, before I got fully educated on this subject, that it did it to me, too. Like, I used to think homeschool kids were weird. What changed it was having them stand up, look me in the eye, put their straight back up, and, ha and, ha and handshake me, 
when this kid's 15 years old and I feel like I was talking to a 25-year-old kid. That's the biggest thing that got through to me. But we all have these hang-ups. So we can not only have the hang-up about actually thinking it's a good thing or doing it, we can have the hang-up of even understanding that it's in motion. And this is in motion. Again, there's eight megatrends. I'll be doing future episodes covering other megatrends. My article covering much of this will be out tomorrow on the education system. My article on the real estate market is already out today. I, I encourage you to share that with people. And the next article, it probably won't be out Tuesday or Wednesday, it'll probably be out by the end of the week, is going to be on um, post-secondary education, colleges, trade schools, etc., and the impact that's going to have, which in some ways is even more massive than this. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like the show and the work that we do, you can help support us by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. That's where you'll see all of my reviews, and if it's there, I own it, I bought it. It works really great, and I'd buy it again, or I wouldn't recommend you buy it. Uh, today, I have a fun one for you. Um, some of y'all are stuck home again. you got to have fun while you're home. This is the Bug Assault 2.0 Insect Eradication Gun. It's a fly shotgun, guys. That's what it really is. It's a shotgun that she's a little blast of table salt for killing flies, and it works really good. I just put mine to use. That's why I decided to bring it around here. What happened? We had we had some new doors on the house, and they were staining them and stuff like that, and so the doors had to be open for most of the day, and the house was hot and all. But since we had all these openings, they put a new window in, too, so the window was out and what have you. We ended up with so many flies in the house, and I dug out the bug of salt. I loaded it up. And I went to that first fly, and I looked at him, and I said, Say hello to my little friend. And I blew his fly brains out with salt. And it was fun. I'm going to tell you, what could be more fun than assassinating flies with a salt shotgun? And your children can use this thing and learn gun safety from it as well. And let's be blunt, unless you stick it up to somebody's eyeball, it's pretty damn safe too, even if they do the wrong thing with it, which then you can correct. Great form of home-based fun, insect eradication, and education. All in one, the Bug Assault 2.0 insect eradication gun. And you can always help support us no matter what you buy if you do your online shopping at tspaz.com. With that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap up the episode today with our song of the day. This ends up being a really great song for today's subject, even though maybe at first it won't seem like it. It's called Remembering by Ashley Campbell. Ashley Campbell is the daughter of the famous Glenn Campbell. And Glenn Campbell had a documentary about his fight with Alzheimer's called I'll Be Me. I highly recommend that. I have a link where you can learn more about that in the show notes today as well. And this song played in there. And, and you, I'm going to let Ashley tell her story because I have like a live version of the song. She tells the story of the song. But basically she wanted to have something that would reach Glenn, her father, even after he stopped remembering or maybe even stopped understanding some words, which is what happens. And, and unfortunately, I've been very close to this and know what dealing with Alzheimer's like is in someone you love. It is a difficult, cruel thing. But the way I think it actually ties into today's episode is I hope when I'm a really old man that my son, my grandson, my granddaughter look at me and think of me so highly that they f they feel about me the way this song clearly indicates that Ashley cares about her father, Glenn. If your children grow up to be adults 
that in your final years look at you the way this song looks at Ashley's father, Glenn Campbell. You did it right. And I think to myself, what more can I do for my grandchildren, since I missed the opportunity to do it for my son, than to liberate them in their education, to make sure they get a better education with more freedom and more options. And I think that might be one part of maybe, if I'm lucky, when I am that old man, should I live to be that long? Just maybe they'll look at me the way that Ashley looks at her father in this song. With that, it's been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Um, yeah, this is a song that um, I, I put it out um, in 2015 as a single, um, along with the documentary on my dad, Glenn Campbell, I'll Be Me. And um, I wrote this song when I first moved to Nashville um, because we had just gotten off tour with my dad and he was starting to decline with his Alzheimer's disease. And I knew that there was going to be a time where he wouldn't recognize me pretty soon, that he wouldn't know who I was. And so, you know, we've always had a really special connection. So I wanted to have something that would maybe be able to reach out to him even when he can't really understand words anymore. Um, and that's definitely music. So this is um, kind of a song from me to him saying that I'll always have his back. It's called Remembering. stairs to your bed Thunder rolls and I pull the covers over my head You say it's just a storm Enjoy the show You take me to the window and you show me that it's beautiful Never had to ask you to sing for me It's just the way Oh
Daddy, don't you worry, I'll do the remembering. Daddy, don't you worry, I'll do the remembering. Now I have to ask you to sing for me, and I have to show you the words to sing. You're standing right in front of me and slipping away. Bone for bone, we are the same. Bones get tired and they can't carry all the weight. We can talk until you can't even remember my name. Don't you worry, I'll do the remembering. Daddy, don't you worry, I'll do the Just finished watching Country's Family Reunion Kicking Back, a brand new series that'll be available in May. We hope you enjoyed it. Subscribe to Country Road TV's YouTube channel right here.